You're clocked out. We're locked in. You're listening to Crunch Time with Miguez and Mesh here on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Did y'all know it's cold outside? I mean, now that the sun's out, it's more chilly than anything, but still pretty cold. Crunch time. Here on the game, 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Matt Miguez here on this Tuesday, October the 18th. The Houston Astros will open the ALCS tomorrow from Minute Maid Park. They are awaiting their opponent. And as it stands right now, James, it's looking like it's going to be the New York Yankees who lead the Guardians 4 to nothing in the top of the third as we speak. Uh, Giancarlo Stanton hit a three-run home run earlier, and then Aaron Judge with a solo shot to make it 4-0. Uh, and, I mean, what what else do you expect? You're, you're two big guys stepping up. Yeah, and it really helps when you get a three-run first inning to start it all off. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, But, hey, that's fine because the Astros and the Yankees and the ALCS – there's always there's always something about that matchup. That was also something that we would have more anticipated than it be Astros Guardians. True. So I mean, we anticipated it would be New York. Very, very, very true. For today's show, we're 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 going to cover a myriad of things. We're going to continue to moan and groan about the Saints because there's a real issue there. We're going to talk. Some more LSU as they prepare for Ole Miss on Saturday on CBS. You can listen to it right here on the game. We're going to talk more about the Astros. We're going to do To the Moon like we do each and every Tuesday. We're also going to talk a little bit of NBA basketball because it's back starting tonight. The Pelicans will play tomorrow against the Brooklyn Nets. So we will talk about that and so much more. If you want to get in on the action, you can hit us up on the game hotline, 337-706-0111. You can also hit us up on social media, whether it be the game's accounts or our own personal accounts. You can find me on Twitter at Matt, and you can find James at Mesh. It's James with a Y instead of a J. Uh, So that's where you find us. Hit us up. Or if you are in Acadiana and you want to watch us on the simulcast, you can do that, Stadium 32.3 and Channel 133 on LUS Fiber. So, James, the the thing that I, I want to get to right off the bat today is, you know, a, a little bit of the Astros, a little bit of the Pelicans, and you want to start with that? We'll also talk Monday Night Football as well. Okay. So let, let's start with Monday Night Football, as a matter of fact. Um, you know... Did you see what I had posted last night after the game? I did. I did. Um, you know, I, I'm just going to come out and, and say it. The NFL has sucked so far. Yes, it's definitely not been great to watch so far. Unless it has been Bill's Chiefs. Chiefs Chargers. Like those, Man, there's really not a lot of other examples. Those those top matchups, it's not been good football. 
There's not a game, and because I'm I'm the type of, I'm a Saints fan, first and foremost. Like even even that kind of quote unquote premier matchup with Bills Rams, right? That wasn't, wasn't even good because the Bills ran away with it. Yeah, I pick a game to watch in every time slot. I always find a game to watch. I watch NFL football all day on Sundays. There has not been a game that has kept me in my chair for four quarters. Unless it was the Saints or one of those two matchups that I just mentioned. It's been bad. It has not been good football. I would rather watch Alabama and Tennessee rerun. I would, than, watch that, I would watch that over and over again. Than, than most of the games that we have seen in the NFL. It, it's bad. Last night's game, you know, the Broncos-Chargers. The Broncos, I, I just, I can't figure them out, dude. I can't. You score 10 points in the first quarter. Russ goes 10 for 10. You're up 10 to nothing. And then you just lay an egg the rest of the day. You just completely fall asleep. You scored six points the rest of the way. While getting outscored 19 to 3. 19 to 6, excuse me. Russ threw for 15 yards the whole second half in overtime. Uh, it, 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 I mean, it's, it, it's, it doesn't it's, make sense to me. It's terrible. I can't figure them out. I don't. People want to people want to crap on Nathaniel Hackett, and I get it. However, it's his first year; he's never been a head coach before. The, I, here's here's where you can make that parallel. That's it's almost kind of feels like another situation, like how it was with Dennis Allen when he was with the Raiders. That first year, for sure. Yeah, very young, very inexperienced. Yeah, Did, for sure. Like he he is not ready by any stretch. But then when Dennis Allen proceeded to go four and twelve that first year, and then he went four and twelve again, and then believe he got fired after starting zero and four. Yeah, he lasted two years and four games. Went eight and twenty eight in that span. That's not great. So, now look, I'm not one of those guys saying, oh, Nathaniel Hackett's going to be fired at the end of the season. I just don't believe that. I don't think you hired him as your head coach and paid Russell Wilson $240 million for that partnership to break up after a year. I think Nathaniel Hackett's got two, maybe even three years to figure it out. But he's going to have to figure it out. He's going to have to do it very quickly. Dennis Allen, on the other hand, I hate to say this, but as a Saints guy, I'm going to. I think he's fired after this year if things don't improve. And the reason that I believe that is because if you look at his previous tenure and you can say, oh, it was Oakland, Oakland's terrible, blah, 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 I get it. Which you're not wrong for, but the fact, he has not shown any significant the improvement. The fact of the matter is that he's 10-32 and 32 as a head coach. And he's had multiple opportunities to be a head coach. And it's not like he took over a team that he didn't know. He's been the defense coordinator for six years. This has been his defense. And you see, But you see, that's the thing that bugs me. He becomes the head coach and the defense gets worse. Yep. 
They've gotten a lot softer. The defense got worse. Now, granted, I know as a head coach, you can't just focus on the defense. You got to, you know, pay attention to everything. And that might be part of the reason why the defense has suffered. But the other big thing in this is some guys just aren't made to be head coaches. That happens. And that's okay. Some guys are made to be coordinators. Some guys are, you know, just, again, not good head coaches. And and I think that's what you're seeing with Dennis Allen. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm jumping on that ship a little too early. But, uh, again, nothing has shown me that he has what it takes to be a successful head coach in this league. Let's go to the hotline, 706-0111. Bring in Jay. Jay, what's up? Um. Okay, I, I, I was trying to figure out why I heard this yesterday. I think it was on the station. Uh, where in the Saints, where have you shown? Where in the Saints history, where they have shown, especially in recent history, where they have shown, you know what? After one season, we're going to get rid of this coach. Same owner, same ownership for the past since 1986, 87, whatever, 85, I think. I don't know, but since the mid 80s, if you look at the uh, since then, some of those the coaches got at least three years. Mike Dicker. Probably had the shortest tenure since uh, since Benson and his family took over. So I, I just I don't see it, man. I don't see I don't unless something crazy takes place. I don't see Dennis Allen getting rid of being getting rid of after one season in New Orleans. I don't think they conduct. I mean, I don't, I don't I don't think they're going to do it either. Uh, if I'm being so, perfect. Why, why talk about it? Well, why, why you think why 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 bring it up if you don't think they're going to do it? But you bring it. But you said that you could see it happening. I'm trying. I'm trying to see what are you basing that on. That's what I'm trying to figure out. The fact that he's ten and thirty-two as a head coach and has shown no signs of improvement. Okay, so that's another. That's another point. Look at the organization he was coaching at the time. Matter of fact, who was successful coaching the uh, Oakland Raiders after uh, after after that Super Bowl run in uh, '02? They went through. They went through a, a ton of coaches. Right. They brought back Art Shell. I think. People like Tom Cable. They didn't. I don't think they make a playoff. They didn't make a playoff until Jack Del Rio came in, and they still didn't have any uh, success. Okay. Well, let me let me, let me let me let me let me turn that question on you. Before Sean Payton arrived in New Orleans, who had true success in New Orleans? But once again, they didn't fire a coach after one season. A coach. That, well, of course they didn't, because in their first year, he went to the NFC Championship game. Who did? Sean Payton. Please, I'm talking about the previous coaches, man. Jim Haslam stayed for about five or six seasons, right? Mike Dick was staying for three. Uh, Morris stayed for a good 12, or 13, 12 seasons or whatever, and he resigned. That's what I'm saying. It's the same ownership. There's, there's, not, there's nowhere in the same franchise is showing me that they're going to get rid of this man after one year. I, I, just, I just don't see them conducting business that way. It's not, the, it's not the kind of organization that would do something like this. That's fair I, enough. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. I could be wrong, man. And if I have no problem calling back, like, hey, man, you call that. Like, hey, I, I didn't see that coming. I have no problem doing that. But, um, yeah, that's, that's all I have to add to it. But, yeah, I just think that it depends on what, you know, the organization. Look, Mike Holmgren, right, I think with these, like, football operations in Cleveland, couldn't do anything. This man had a track record of winning. So it's all about the organization. All right, thank you. See, I, I disagree with that. I mean, I, do I think the organization plays into it? Sure. But, I mean, the Saints were a perennial loser. I mean, fans were showing up in paper bags. Sean Payton turned them into a yearly contender. 
a yearly contender. From 2010 to 2019, even if the Saints had a bad year, they were always in the conversation. Always. And then that stretch from 2016 to 2019, the Saints were a true contender each of those seasons. Again, do I think the Saints are actually going to fire Dennis Allen after one year? No, I do not. However, do I think that you are now in a generation of NFL football where if you don't find immediate success, you're in trouble? Because here's the thing. You know, you you bring up, we, we talked about Nathaniel Hackett. Yeah, Broncos fans can be mad all they want. The dude's never been a head coach. That's a completely different demon. Dennis Allen has been a head coach. And it was a miserable failure. I don't care that he was coaching the Oakland Raiders. There was no improvement. None. He coached 28 games. 36 games, actually. 36 games. And he went the same record in the first two seasons, back-to-back, and then started the second, se- the third season 0-4. There was no improvement there. The Saints went 8-9 and last year and missed the playoffs. If you do worse than that this year, I think there's going to be a conversation had. Whether that conversation results in a firing or not, I don't really know. Here's the thing with coaching, though. I I don't think that they'll fire Hackett, even though I would have just never gone with him to begin with. You're Even though it's always like I need instant success, they always give him at least at some point into the second year. And and How often do they fire somebody after the first year, and even I if it was bad? And I 100% expect the Saints to do so. I, I, I don't, the, the Saints will not move on from Dennis Allen after one year. The reason that we bring it up is because, I mean, that's kind of our job. Listen to sports radio anywhere. You speculate. You have conversations. That's how this works. I mean, you you, you bring it up because it's a conversation that should be had. But anyways... Again, throughout today's show, we're going to talk more about the Saints. Ross Jackson is going to join us at 4.30. At 5.30, Brian LaLima of Apollo HOU and Sports Radio 790 will join us to do To the Moon. And we will also preview the NBA, LSU, and UL in between. You're listening to The Game, 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, and your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Got something to say to Miguez and Mesh? Hell yeah! It's easy. Just call the hotline by dialing 337-706-0111. Now, back to more Crunch Time with Miguez and Mesh. Here on The Game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. If you want to be one of the first people to see Black Panther Wakanda forever, all you got to do is text the word Panther to 337-283-8100 for your chance to win a spot for two people on the guest list for a private viewing of Black Panther Wakanda Forever at Celebrity Theaters in Broussard on November the 10th. Once again, text Panther 
337-283-8100 to win tickets for Black Panther, Wakanda Forever, brought to you by The Game, Celebrity Theaters, and Sherman Insurance. Welcome back to Crunch Time. Matt Me guys, James Mesh. We'll go to the hotline now. Ralph, what's up, bud? Hey, bud, uh, I'll make it real quick because I know you have Ross Jackson coming on. But, um, you know, I think you had mentioned the Saints were 8-9 last year. They were actually at 9-8. and eight, and, and I would argue that that might have been Sean Payton's best coaching job considering the injuries and, and going through, I think it was five quarterbacks during the course of a season, yep. uh, none of whom were, you know, NFL caliber starting quarterbacks. And, and so, yeah, the drop-off is huge. And, and I kind of look at it, I was trying to come up with a comparison. You know, I might be the best best math math teacher in the entire parish. I mean, I'm a, I'm a great math teacher at my high school. But all of a sudden, I get promoted to principal, and I don't know what I'm doing. I'm not an administrator, you know. So, so Dennis Allen has already proven he, he, he's not a head coach. I don't care how dysfunctional the Raiders you. were. You know, he just some, like you said, some people are, you know, cut out for it and others aren't. And that's fine. You know, just go back to being a good coordinator. I mean, you, you know, he was doing a good job with that. And now, you know, we're seeing all the, the fall off in defense and whatnot. And I think what happens, they probably give him one more year after this because there's going to be some suitors for Sean Payton. We'll get some draft picks, but I don't know that they're going to be next year. They might be in, in 2024 or 2025. And, and given we don't have one next year, I think they'll probably just ride with this. We'll have a patchwork quarterback room again next year. And then in the, the following year, we, we, we're probably going to be bad enough again next year to have a, you know, a, already a high pick in addition to other picks we might get. And then we can kind of start this rebuilding process. And it doesn't take long. I mean, it's, it's, you can see what the, what the Bengals have done. I mean, they were, you know, a doormat just a couple of years ago. And, and through a couple of good drafts, you can, you can get back pretty quick, you know. But, um, but man, we've got some – yeah, it's going to be a brutal off season. We've got to get rid of some of this dead weight with some of these contracts and 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 get younger, get faster, and and um, you know, I I just I don't I don't see him being the you know the long term answer at, at at the head coach. And um, you know, I wish him all the best, nice guy. But you know what? I want to see somebody on the sideline that's chewing out some butt and getting you know getting fiery. I mean, I'm I'm. Press conference literally puts me to sleep when I'm when I'm watching it. It's it. I just don't see the passion. I mean, I'm sure the passion's there, but I don't. I don't know. No, I, 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 just, I agree I'm with you. I agree with you completely. I'm just discouraged right now, man. I, you know, um, because you know, like you said, and look, we had we had the one Super Bowl. We had another one. You know, no guarantee we'd have won it, but we'd have been in the Super Bowl if not for the NOLA no-call. And the Minneapolis Miracle, very good chance that might have been our best team, uh, you know, to go uh, and make a, a, a deep run um, after that game. Um, perennial contenders, you know, we had a you know, a couple of seven and nine years, but, hey, that that bounty gate did that to us, you know, yep. for, for, for that period of time. Um, but, but no doubt we're, we're – we, you know, and, I, and look, I was one of the ones that minimized it. So oh, it's going to be a seamless transition. He's, he was, you know, on on board already, and I'm, I'm sure Sean Payton recommended him and, and everything else. And, and I was wrong. I mean, yeah. I, 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 I've, 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 I've got to I said the Saints were going to go 12-5 and five this year. 
Matt, I bet them. I, I, I bet the over. I think the over was eight and a half. I bet the over. I bet them to win the NFC South. I bet them to win the, the uh, NFC. Uh, well, I'll, I'll tell you this: the, the bet, the, the bet, the I bet mean, for so, the the bet for the NFC South might still be in play. Well, yeah, maybe. You know, <laughs> yeah, maybe you know, but but that, that just you know that I mean it, it's just unacceptable right now the nope. way we're losing games, you know, and 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 I, I, I well, I'm not going to call out some of the Saints columnists who've written some things, but I just totally disagree. You 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 know you pin and blame on a. A journeyman, not journeyman. He was a he was a good quarterback, Andy Dalton. It wasn't his fault we lost that game the other day. No, I mean, you know, I mean, but there's a very prominent New Orleans columnist who is arguing, you know, big time that that it was all the, his the fault. fault he the, the, the fault, the fault was on the play calling of the offense and the defense for getting how to tackle. Exactly, they missed I think 13 tackles. That's you know, where the fault and, lies. You no, know, you know it is so frustrating because you know a couple. I look, I, some of them don't surprise me. Tyron Matthew hasn't tried to tackle anything this year. Oh, he's um, been bad, and he, huh? And I, I don't know if you remember Tyrone Hughes from back in the yep. day, um, but I, I heard uh, on, on Jordy Holberg's show with Bob Rose that Tyrone Hughes just flat out said Tyron Matthew is making business decisions when it comes to tackling. He's just playing not to get hurt at this point in his career, which is pretty disappointing you know um i mean i thought we were getting honey badger we got winnie the pooh instead you know uh but you know i i just i just don't don't see the passion there and and i just want to see, uh, i don't know like i said i i'm, I'm just I'm disappointed but 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 yeah mediocrity you know dennis allen coming out and saying well you know we're still in it because the rest of the league sucks you know well you know in, in essence that's what he said what, you know what? I mean, yeah, a couple of plays here and there. You could be four and two, five and one. You could also be very well be zero and six. You know, I mean, the Atlanta win was a was a was a miracle, yep. uh, and you lost to the worst team in football, Carolina. So, I mean, hang your hat on that. You know, I I, I just anyway, we'll we'll see what happens. But one hundred percent with you. Yep. All right, man. Y'all have a good day. You too. All right. So yeah, you know, it, it's it's incredibly discouraging, right? You know, you you had this offseason where you signed Jameis Winston to a contract and you know, he's healthy and he's looking good and you know this and that. You bring home two of Louisiana's prodigal sons and Tyron Matthew and Jarvis Landry playing for their hometown team. You know, Alvin Kamara's back. We're going to see Michael Thomas again. <laughs> that was funny. Um, I mean, you had all these storylines, you had all these hopes and promises, and like like our bud Jake Crane likes to say, if 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 ifs and buts were candy and nuts, we'd all have a Merry Christmas. But that's just not the case. And we're talking about contracts. I was talking to Ray about this earlier, and I was talking about it yesterday. We are so look. I, I'm gonna let you get to it because we got time to do so. I understand. I love Sean Payton, I love Mickey Loomis, and we benefited greatly from their mindset of you know, just push everything down the road, push everything down the road. But now we're at a point where you can't push it any farther. No, you can keep pushing it. Especially with the fact that 
this next offseason, the projected cap is supposed to start going back up instead of down that it's been doing the last two years. Can you keep pushing it, though? Of course. You can. But, but what I'm saying is it's eventually going to catch up to you. It's going to become a problem for the Saints at some point. I would argue that it's always been an issue. Because there's all because you're always having to play for pay for players that they are no longer on the team, but you're still paying for them because you've always been kicking the can. You're still going to be kicking the can no matter what until Mickey leaves. But that's what I'm saying. That that's kind of what I'm getting at. You can only keep kicking the can for so much longer. But you're going to keep kicking it until Mickey's gone. But looking at the contracts itself, I mean, you'd want to try and trade somebody like a I don't know. A, Michael Thomas, I mean, a lot of people were saying that last year, especially with them getting Chris Olave. It's like, oh, we don't need Michael Thomas. we got Chris Olave. Or it's like, oh, he hasn't played in practically two years. What's the point in having him? Which I get it. He had an amazing 2019 after he got the contract, but he didn't play in 20. He barely played in 2020. He didn't play at all in 2021. Well, if you look at dead cap, which is something that whether you keep him on the, if you lose him, it'll count towards your cap. And if mm-hmm. you try to get rid of him in 2023, it would still be a $25 million dead cap that you would be eating up. And it's like, well, are you really going to do that? Same thing with in 2024, where it's going to be 13.6. I mean, he doesn't become a free agent until 2025, but you'd still be paying over $5 million a year for mm-hmm. for 2025 and 2026 for, for Mike. him. For Mike. Yep. But then you look at Andrews Pete, Pondwater, I mean... He, he's been okay at times, but then he's been really bad. And when it comes to him, he's not a free agent until 2025 either. But his dead cap is $17 million and then $10 million. But then you'd still be paying him $4 million and $2 million in 2025 and 2026. Let's talk about this. Have you seen the list of unrestricted free agents at the end of this season? Yeah. You, you, you did a one-year rental with Jarvis Landry. Bradley the, these, Roby. These two... Bradley Roby as well. These two-year contracts with Marcus May and and uh, Jameis Winston, those are also potential outs because it's like, well, once you're done with this first year, the right. second year, it's like it's so not this a big is, deal. So this, this is your list of unrestricted free agents. Bradley Roby, David Onyemata, Deontay Hardy, Marcus Davenport, Jarvis Landry, Andy Dalton, Mark Ingram, Shai Tuttle. David Onyemata. I already said David Onyemata. You did, you did get David. P.J. Williams, Tano Passanio. JT Gray, Daniel Sorensen, Contavia Street, Dwayne Washington, Forrest Lamp, Justin Evans, Ethan Greenidge, and J.P. Holtz, as well as Wyatt Davis and Caden Ellis. Those, that's just unrestricted. You also got a slew of restricted free agents, too, like Jawan Johnson, Chase Hansen, Marquez Calloway, Blake Gillikin. You got a lot of deals that you got to sign this offseason, and there's only so much money to do it. Yeah, but not everybody's going to be these world beaters that you need to spend bunches and bunches of money on. That's the thing. You're not going to pay a bunch of money to your punter unless he's Ray Guy reincarnated. I mean, maybe not, but I mean, I get you're saying, but I mean, are you bringing back back Bradley Roby? Because that's $11 million right there. Well, no, not at this point. No. If you bring him back, he would be on like a one year deal for two or three million. Maybe. That's the thing. Most of these, most of these guys so, that so are on the team right now, they were one-year rentals because, like, look, we just need so depth you're, piece. So you're telling me that Bradley Roby's going to go from making ten and a half million to making two? How old is he? 
30. Uh-huh. What role does he play? Basically cornerback three? Just saying. And that's what I'm saying. Take a timeout. Ross Jackson joins us next. We'll talk about this and a slew of other Saints topics right here on the game. Southwest Louisiana Sports Station in your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. You're listening to the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Slings it far side. Stingley steps inside the receiver and picks it off. Southwest Louisiana's Sports Station. A shot to left field. Going back on its Gordon. He'll look up at the goner. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Time to talk some more of the black and gold. We are joined by Ross Jackson, the host of the Locked On Saints podcast. Ross, what's going on, bud? How are you? Hey, buddy. I'm doing great. Thanks for having me on, man. So, you know, looking at the Saints game from Sunday, that 30-26 to 26 loss to the Bengals, question number one that I have is, is what's up with the defense? Yeah, I think that's, uh, that's maybe the number one question in everyone's mind right now is New Orleans defense is not the top five scoring defense that we're accustomed to seeing over the course of the uh, you know past couple of years. They're actually 29th in defense, in total defense right now. Um, or 29th in terms of scoring defense, and they're about 17th in terms of total defense in terms of yardage. But I think that what you're seeing with this defense right now, where the most, where the kind of biggest struggle is, is uh, giving up big plays in big moments. If you look at each of the last four losses, or each of the four losses the Saints had so far this season, and you know there's Brashad Perriman 28-yard touchdown that took place in the fourth quarter against the Tampa Buccaneers, it's a 67-yard. LaVisca Chenault catch and run. That was against the uh, Carolina Panthers. That was in week three. That was in the fourth quarter. The big 38-yard, 36-yard catch by um, Justin Jefferson down the field, uh, which put the Minnesota Vikings in position to score the what became the game-winning field goal. That was in the fourth quarter in London. And then, of course, this past week, the 60-yard catch and run by Jamar Chase was, uh, again, in the fourth quarter. And the Saints you know, held possession of the ball for only a minute and 30 seconds that entire game while trailing, but it was the most important minute and 30 seconds of the game. So I think those are the biggest things right now. You look at this team that you know, you can you can sit there and look from one side and say, oh, well, they've been in it late, but the issue is not being able to hold up late as well. And I think that's one of the places where the defense, it's tackling and lack of lack of turning, uh, turning the ball over really uh, kind of jumps out at you. In your mind, were the expectations for the season maybe just a little too high? No, I don't think so. I don't think the expectations were high. I think the expectations, the high expectations were well-deserved. Um, you know, this was a team that was coming in with a fantastic roster. And even, you know, regardless of how you felt about, you know, Jameis Winston or anybody else at the quarterback position, there was a, a feeling that this New Orleans Saints defense would continue to be the defense that it has been. So, again, not unwarranted expectation there. You were just expecting the defense to get, kind of continue to be what, it, what it's been. And then you look at getting Michael Thomas back, adding Jarvis Landry, drafting Chris Olave, a, a healthy Alvin Kamara coming into the season, you know, an offensive line that they, for the majority of the point, have been able to hold together. All that. Uh, so I don't think that the expectations were too high. I just think that the Saints, unfortunately, haven't met the expectations um, that were there. But it's not because the expectations were too high. It's because the performance has been so far underwhelming. You know, you, you look at some of the storylines, you know, Jarvis Landry coming back home, Tyron Matthew coming back home. Tyron Matthew has not really been what we would we were hoping for. Um, and, and, you know, I've heard a lot of people say that he's making business decisions when, when deciding whether to tackle somebody or not to avoid injury at this point in his career. Uh, James and I agree that this signing has kind of reminded us of Jarius Bird a little bit. 
What do, what do you think the issue is there? Yeah, um, I, I don't know if Jairus Bird is really the, the comparison that I would personally make. I think, you know, Tyron Matthew has not been what you expected for maybe three games out of six, and then he has been what you've expected for three games out of six. And so I think you're going to have sort of these ups and downs. I mean, you look over in Philadelphia where the Saints traded uh, C.J. Gardner-Johnson just a week ago. Everyone was ready in Philadelphia to move on from C.J. Gardner-Johnson. People were very upset with him for missing tackles and things like that. He gets one interception the week later, and then all of a sudden it's the greatest trade that the Philadelphia Eagles have ever made. This is sort of the rhythm of the NFL. This is how things work. When a player does really well then or does moderately well, then that player is the greatest thing that's ever happened to that organization. When that player comes in a bit uh, underwhelming or, or unexpected, or, or less than expected, he's the worst thing that's ever happened in the organization. And so I, I think that Tyron Matthew is just kind of like right now the victim of uh, a lot of sort of extremes uh, in terms of outlook and conversation and things like that. Uh, but there is no hiding the fact that he has not been the playmaker that the New Orleans Saints and that New Orleans Saints fans expected him to be so far this season. He does, however, have the Saints' only interception of the season. So take him off of the team, and then what does this team have in, in terms of category of takeaways and things like that? Because he was also responsible uh, for for a fumble earlier on in the season as well against the Atlanta Falcons. So uh, I think that you know there's a lot of sort of ups and downs in terms of what Tyron Matthew has been so far, but that's not just true of Tyron Matthew. That's true of this entire New Orleans Saints defense, which has just simply not been the defense that was expected coming in. There's still time for it to become that, but that window of time is certainly closing. And then there were some rumors for New Orleans, that they were calling about Giants receiver Darius Slayton and that they were also willing to trade Marquez Callaway away to another team for the right price. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, um, I, you know, I, I think the the trade for Darius Slayton is an interesting one, but I see where the connection is. Cody Burns, of course, the New Orleans Saints now wide receiver coach, uh, is the guy that was the wide receiver coach at Auburn that got Darius Slayton uh, drafted effectively in the Giants and their wide receiver room, despite the fact that they have such a a good record, and they've, they've done so well this, so far this season. The wide receiver room's been a bit tumultuous. So I could certainly see that, and I think that, you know, when you look at what the New Orleans Saints are looking to add, they're looking to add ways to finish drives, and I think adding the offensive firepower there makes sense. And then otherwise, you're always sort of have this sort of kind of collection of players that you feel like you could potentially move on from for more draft capital, things like that, a la C.J. Gardner-Johnson earlier on in the season. Everything so not super surprising. I expect that the Saints are very likely making a, a lot of those phone calls uh, to figure out who's available, what's available, what interest is there in terms of retaining or, or, or recouping some draft capital and things like that. Um, but I, you know, I, I think that whether they stick with Marquis, I, I would say that sticking with Marquis Callaway is probably better than trading for Darius Slayton. In my opinion, I think Callaway knows the system. He's been a number one guy and the, and, and the most reliable receiver in your system for some time. He was, i.e., last year, right when he was kind of the top guy there. Everything he already knows the system, and he comes in with you know a, a pretty unique skill set. And Darius Slayton is somebody that would have to come in and learn the system, and you have to give up capital for him. So, if you ask me, I'd rather uh, you know if if I were in charge, I would want to keep Marquez Callaway, and then you know maybe if you can add Darius Slayton to the mix, and sure, but certainly not a swap for one to one. Chatting with Ross Jackson, you know, looking at it, two and four on the season, short turnaround before they play Thursday night against the Cardinals. With how you know flawed and how many issues the Saints have had so far this season, the fact of the matter is they're still only a game out of the NFC South. Yeah, yeah, they're not that far out. Uh, you know, this game Thursday becomes really important for them. You know, uh, three and four is better than two and five for a variety of reasons. Uh, two of the three and three teams ahead of you 
I believe, play against one another this week, uh, this this upcoming week. And so I think that, you know, you have some opportunity here to pick up some ground within the NFC South or within your division. And that's really what all teams are looking to do. They're looking to compete within and potentially win or at least get to second place within their division. That way they have some opportunity in the postseason and then it becomes a one loss, one win type situation to either progress or fall out. And so, um, you know, you look at where the New Orleans Saints are right now, and they're not a team that's totally out of it. As I mentioned, the, the window's closing, and there's absolutely no denying that. They're not the greatest team in the NFL. They're not the worst team in the NFL. Uh, but they, you know, getting a win this weekend would certainly go uh, a long way in terms of keeping them in that conversation, especially with the sort of mini-bye week uh, that's coming up for them with the, the long uh, sort of break before they uh, come back home to take on the Raiders. To get some to, to some good news, though, I mean, Chris Olave said that he's – planning to play on Thursday, and now we're actually getting updates on rookie Trevor Penning now that he's in a walking boot. Yeah, yeah, and he's, he expects that that walking boot will come off soon, uh, which is good news. There has been some uh, you know, some speculation that he could be ready to go early to mid-November, and so him getting the walking boot off here in mid-October, let's say late October, uh, which certainly, you know, certainly fits that timeline. And I think getting Chris Olave back is, is great for you. I think that he could have been a difference for you on one or two of those red zone drives that you had to settle for field goals on uh, last week against the Cincinnati Bengals, which the red zone inefficiencies are a part of what cost them that game. Um, going only 20% on their possessions in terms of touchdowns, but then giving up 100% in terms uh, for the uh, Cincinnati Bengals. And then, you know, I'll also add in here that uh, Alante Taylor is, is also somebody that, uh, you know, is designated to return. Maybe he can get back in time to play on Thursday, uh, but he was somebody that actually impressed uh, week two and the opportunity that he got when uh, uh, late in the game after the whole Marshall Lattimore and Mike Evans ejection and all, um, thought that he played really well there, and this would be a pretty good matchup for him with a uh, wide receiver group that either hasn't played uh, in the system so far this season or that um, you know was injured and so uh, hampered. And so I think getting a lot to Taylor back right now, especially when you're dealing with injuries in the secondary, is really important. Let's look at the Cardinals now. You know, no Hollywood Brown could very well be gone for the season, uh, but DeAndre Hopkins is coming back off of his suspension, and they just traded for Robbie Anderson. You know, give me your thoughts on the the Cardinals skill players for Kyler Murray. Yeah, I think the two of them, in terms of Robbie Anderson and, and DeAndre Hopkins, uh, will be very good complements to one another. It's effectively what you had with. Um, Russell, Russell Wilson, goodness, uh, Mark, Marquise Brown, uh, and, uh, and, and DeAndre, um, Hopkins to have the two of them sort of your big possession receiver that can do a little bit of everything. And then your speed, your deep threat, that can be the complimentary piece to that. So I think that Robbie Anderson gives you that as well. But, you know, last night we saw Robbie Anderson, what was he doing? He was in the face of his interim head coach on the sideline yelling and screaming at him and eventually got himself, you know, traded off the team. And so I don't know if necessarily that's the, uh, culture <laughs> that you want to add to to your team in Arizona when you've already had so many of these kind of like off season issues uh, so far this year, but you know you know maybe it'll work out for them. I, I don't know if Robbie Anderson is going to be ready to go by Thursday. Usually, you know when teams acquire a player late before a Thursday game, sometimes they play, sometimes they don't. Just in terms of getting into the to the rhythm of things, uh, maybe he'll be in a, a few packages or something like that. But it'll be interesting to see just how involved he and DeAndre Hopkins have the ability to be on Thursday. Uh, in, in any case, though, they present a big challenge to you uh, with the secondary that struggled so far this season. And then one more for you, Ross. What's your prediction for Thursday night's matchup? Um, it's a tough one. I, I really I, I have a lot of trouble picking this game. So what, what I'll say in terms of my prediction for it is that 
I, I think that these are both two desperate teams in a bad conference and each playing within reach of their division. And so I think it's two desperate teams, and I think there will be some desperate football there. So I think that the team that's able to establish its identity and preferably whichever one establishes its identity within its run game, which you, know, you look at the last two weeks for the New Orleans Saints, that can be them going into this one. Um, Arizona has the seventh best run defense in the NFL. Cincinnati had the seventh best run defense in the NFL last week as well. The Saints ran for 228 yards there. And so I think if the Saints can build their identity off of their run game and allow themselves to be more patient than desperate, then they should be able to come up with a win here. They'll have to contain Kyler Murray. But as long as, even if you don't contain Kyler Murray as well in the run game, if you're not allowing you know, another runner to pop off or you're not allowing the passing game to get going, you can kind of protect yourself there. So, uh, you know, there's an easy, not an easy, but there's an easy to identify path to victory for New Orleans, and hopefully they'll be able to, to, to see it through. Very quickly, Ross, what's your favorite icy flavor? Oh, um, I'm, a, I'm a blue raspberry guy most of the time, but my favorite is always going to be the classic Coca-Cola flavor. Ross Jackson, host of Locked on Saints, joining us here on this chilly Tuesday afternoon. Ross, appreciate you as always. Uh, Enjoy the game this Thursday night against the Cardinals, and we'll talk soon. Thanks, buddy. I appreciate you. Good seeing you every day. Take care, stay safe, and I'll talk to you here soon. And there he goes. Ross Jackson will take a timeout. Wrap up hour number one on the other side right here on the game. Southwest Louisiana Sports Station in your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Alexa and the game make a great team. Do yourself a favor and enable the Alexa skill, the game Southwest Louisiana, so you can keep it locked in to the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, wherever you go. Welcome back to Crunch Time here on the game. Looking at our poll question, if you haven't looked at it yet on our Twitter and Facebook pages, what's your favorite icy flavor? Right now, Coke is leading most of the votes with 53.8%. In second place is Cherry at 38.5%. And then the rest of the votes are going to Blue Raspberry. What are your thoughts, Matt? I know I know you like a certain one of those. So Coke was always great when it was Coca-Cola. But Icy and Coca-Cola have ended their partnership. And they Icy now has like their own cola flavor. It's, it's, just, fake, it's fake Coke. And it's just not as good. Um, blue raspberry. It's okay. I get why people like it. I mean, isn't that what you were drinking? No, I was drinking bubble gum. Oh, that was bubble gum. Bubble gum. Mm -hmm. I thought that was it was Mm -hmm. blue. So, bubble gum. Uh, now some places have this. The white cherry. Well, the white cherry is really good, but some places have Dr Pepper icy. Dude, why don't you just go get a sponsorship with Dr. Pepper at this point? You keep Dude. talking about it. You're you giving them free advertisement. You might as well go try and get a bag for it. There's 23 flavors, dude. <laughs> and you, you taste a different one every time. It's so good. But no, seriously, you get the Dr. Pepper Icy, you mix it with cherry. Game changer. It's funny because someone had brought up their own flavor. It was Jason Willis on Facebook, he was saying mix regular cherry with Coke. Yeah. I mean, a cherry Coke is fine. Um, And then JK said he's going with Coke with a little bourbon. He likes to to make it spicy. He likes to spice things up. Really? An alcoholic icy? 
might have to try that. I mean, it's basically a daiquiri. I was going to say, mean, I mean, I, I think we can see the similarities yeah, no, with that. I mean, that's basically a daiquiri. Ton said Coke, period. Cherry's nasty. Blue raspberry is sickening. Coke is refreshing and a perfect complement to any snack as an icy. And then we got Ralph saying, on a day when you have your first cold fronts hit, is chicken and sausage an icy flavor? <laughs> I might be making a gumbo tonight, actually. I had some last night. Oh, man. It's so cold outside, and it's just the perfect time. I wouldn't call it cold. I would say it's chilly. I'm sorry. You wouldn't say that an overnight low of 35 is cold. I like that. That's cold. Whether you like it or not, it's cold. To you. It's three degrees above freezing. To me, it's cold whenever it's under 30. Which doesn't happen very often here. Exactly. So that's why I'm saying it's chilly. No, no. 50s and 40s is chilly. 30s is downright cold. You goober. Hour number one in the books. Hour number two after this top of the hour sports update here on The Game. You're listening to 103.7 Lafayette and 104.1 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station. And it is your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. We're back after this. You're clocked out. We're locked in. You're listening to Crunch Time with Miguez and Mesh here on The Game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Hour number two. It's Crunch Time here on The Game, 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. And your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Matt Miguez, James Mesh. Yesterday, Brian Kelly held his weekly press conference with the media, and he spoke about how the team learned some lessons after their loss to Tennessee. Well, you know, each week this team is 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 learning so much and 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 growing. Unfortunately, they learned from the Tennessee loss, and and nobody really wants to be learning lessons after a loss, but they learned a lot about intentionality and purpose in terms of their preparation, and and we saw that during the week, Uh, and it carried over to the way they played on the road. I think then you win on the road in the fashion that they did. You build more confidence in your football team. So I think two weeks later, it's, um, I don't want to say a different team, but it's a team that has confidence. It's a team that knows that if they don't play clean, if they don't have an attention to detail, they'll have similar results that they did against Tennessee. So uh, I guess what I'm saying is that um, it's not a different team, but it's a team that has grown from the last couple of weeks. And and if they take that knowledge into their preparation this week and into the game and their performance, um, then, then we should have one uh, really fine football team. You know, one of the best quotes I've ever heard in sports, James, is L doesn't stand for lose. It stands for learn. Because when you win, you win. But then when you lose, what do you learn from it? A, a lot of coaches have started using that mindset that you don't lose, you learn. And because, you know, you only lose when you let yourself lose if that makes sense at all. And you made mistakes. Right. You win and you learn. And 
Did LSU play well against Tennessee? No, they did not. But was that more of a learning experience than a loss? Yeah. I think it was also a it was a reality check. Mm-hmm. It was. It was, it, it, it was like pe- people were really riding high, and it was like it was like, look, I I understand that Tennessee was eight at the time, but you're right now. You've got some momentum. I mean, you're in Tiger Stadium. Hendon Hooker's a pretty good guy, pretty good quarterback, and they're riding high right now, but feels like we have a good shot. I mean, got weapons, the defense looks solid, but then it was like, boom, reality check. And now it's like, okay, we've seen this loss. What did we do wrong? What? How, how can we improve on this? And it felt like they made some of the adjustments throughout the game on floor, against Florida. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to say it on this show right now. After the way Hendon Hooker played against LSU and the way that he played against Alabama. He's winning the Heisman. Not yet. On November 5th, when he plays Georgia in Athens, you play Georgia on the road, you put up a performance like that and you beat Georgia, you're winning the Heisman. Go back to 2019. Joe Burrow's performance against Alabama in Tuscaloosa. Joe had two Heisman moments. That game sealed the Heisman Trophy for him. It was that, and then he had another one on it, with the run to get the first down to right. just about seal it against Alabama. But then he also had the crazy scramble run, and run throw it deep down the right to Justin Jefferson as he broke a couple tackles and Took it for about 68 yards, I think, and set it up in the red zone. I mean, you go on the road to Georgia, the defending national champions, in November, and you win that game, you're winning the Heisman Trophy. You you, you lock it up 100%. We're going back to the Tigers. They've got a tough test this Saturday in Death Valley, and it is the number 7 ranked and undefeated Ole Miss Rebels. Here's Brian Kelly's thoughts on Ole Miss. Move on to uh, Ole Miss. Obviously another top 10 team coming into the stadium, and uh, we're excited about the challenge. It's, a, it's an outstanding football team, well coached. Uh, Lane does a great job with um, obviously the offense, but overall uh, a very confident football team. Been playing well, uh, undefeated. It's an offense that is um, you know, systematic in its play calling, what they're trying to do. The pieces fall together quite nicely uh, and very talented. You know, the quarterback, you know, is, is a two-double-threat quarterback. Um, Dart can throw it. He can run. He's complemented with two outstanding backs, big receivers, uh, and, and a very balanced attack. They can run it equally as well as they throw it. And um, so I have a lot of respect for what they do defensively. They're in, you know, a three-down defense. You know, we don't see a ton of what they do. Uh, they do what they do well. And, uh, you know, I think they they get pressures. Uh, I think they're second uh, in the SEC in sacks. So, Yeah, their defense is nasty. And their running game is, I mean, they're averaging 270 yards a game on the ground. That is impressive numbers. I don't care who you're playing against. That's impressive numbers. So, James, I got a I got a question for you. We'll start a conversation here. In your mind, has LSU turned a corner? 
I think they will have turned the corner if they manage to beat Ole Miss. I don't think they've I don't think they've turned that corner yet. So right now, say say they don't beat Ole Miss. Say mm-hmm. they're say they're five and three after the Ole Miss game going into Alabama. What's their record at the end of the season? To me, they still lose to Bama. That would be their fourth loss. I think after that, I think that's that final lesson that they learn. And it's like they realize it's like, look, we're five and four at that point. You finish off with Arkansas, UAB, and then and A&M. A&M, which to me. You go seven and, do you go seven and five? I think they make a run at the end. I think they run the table and get the last three in the regular season. So you finish eight and four. Yes, I still think I still think you're very much in line for that eight and four, like I had said. Same thing with the Cajuns. I, I said seven and five for them. They're still in line with that. Now let me ask you this: Say they beat Ole Miss this weekend. Okay, you're six and two. You've had back to back big SEC wins. Yes, I mean call Florida a mediocre team this year under Billy Napier or not. That was a huge win to go into Gainesville and dominate. It's a big win. You come home. And it's not like you lucked into it. Right. No, you beat your, them. Your team played very well. Yeah, you beat them. You come home, play a top 10 team at home, CBS game of the week, blah, blah, blah. You win it. And then you go to the bye, you play Bama. You're asking me, do I think do they you beat, beat Bama? Bama? <sighs> do you beat Bama? What's, what's the chance that you beat Bama? I think if you lose. Oh, if you lose to Ole Miss, you're not beating Bama. But that's what I'm saying. I'm I'm trying to do the comparison. I think if you if you if you lose to Ole Miss, your chance of beating Bama three five percent. If you beat Ole Miss and Bama is still down in this next week because they also get their bye at the same time as LSU. Yep. I think if those two happen, if you beat Ole Miss and then Alabama loses, I think it jumps. Significantly, I say to thirty-ish percent because Alabama's got Mississippi State this Saturday, and that's no slouch. No slouch, especially not that passing offense. I mean, here's the thing with Bryce Young, with him being injured, they still managed to put up. And I and I know and I know. I was gonna say, and I know Tennessee's passing defense, not good. It's Swiss cheese. There's holes everywhere. I get it. But man, you're still throwing for 450 and putting up 49 points. That's true. And it took your kicker to miss the field goal, and then the opposing team's kicker to send a mallard. But that's the but that's just the barely thing. over. But that's what really worries me about the Bama LSU matchup, because say say Nick Saban makes a business decision, and he goes, you know what, Mississippi State's a good team, but I think Jaden Milrow can beat them. And he puts in Jaden. Say, say Bryce Young sits this week. And then you give him two weeks two to get healthy. Two weeks to get healthy. Well, then that completely changes everything. Two. You're in big trouble if Bryce Young is that healthy going into Alabama LSU. You're in big trouble. But we are looking way too far ahead. Um, look, again, Ole Miss, 7-0. and If you look at their schedule, they haven't played, you know, superstars. Their key win this season is Kentucky, and they struggled to get that job done. Uh, they beat Troy twenty-eight to ten. They whooped up on Central Arkansas fifty-nine to three. They went to Georgia Tech and beat them forty-two to nothing. 
First game that worried me for Alabama, for Ole Miss's sake was they only beat Tulsa by eight, 35-27. You squeak by Kentucky, 22-19. You take your frustrations out on Vanderbilt, 52-28. to And then you beat Auburn by 14. Now, a lot of people sit there and go, well, you know, they beat Auburn by 14, and LSU struggled to beat them. It's true. It's very true. LSU had to score 21 unanswered points in the second half. They were down 17 to nothing. I think this is a much different LSU team than when they played Auburn. I think it's a much different football team. Can I say the same about Ole Miss? Well, no, because they played Auburn last week. I think, again, I think Ole Miss is a great football team. They're 7-0. They're number 7 in the country. Are they a top 10 football team? No, I don't think so. Are they a ranked team? Are they one of the top teams in the SEC? Absolutely. A top 10 team in the country? I just I just can't see that. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe they come to Tiger Stadium on Saturday and whoop LSU's ass. And that's fine. I just I, I can't see them being the top dog or the number seven team in the country. But here's the thing. If you beat Ole Miss and Alabama beats Mississippi State, Alabama and LSU were tied for the lead in the SEC West going into their matchup on November the 5th. Now you tell me why that wouldn't be primetime football. It definitely would. But you see, what gets interesting is because you look at November 5th, again, Tennessee and Georgia. That game's going to decide the SEC East. If you're CBS, which one do you pick for 2.30 in the afternoon? For, for, it, for, ten, for Tennessee. Out of Tennessee, Georgia, LSU, Alabama, who do you pick? I would pick Tennessee, Georgia. So then LSU, Alabama goes to the four-letter network at night? I mean, because that would that would be the. Next... I mean, would you would you rather? Because let's say you do beat Ole Miss, you you'd get back in the in the top twenty five. Yeah, absolutely. And but it would be Alabama. I, I would presume that they would get back to like four or five. So it's like a four twenty two matchup versus a one three. I mean, no, I mean I, I'm with you. If, it, I, if I'm I mean, C, if I'm CBS, this I'm is apples picking, to oranges. I'm probably picking Tennessee, Alabama. I mean Tennessee, Georgia, also. But, I mean, LSU-Alabama, everyone knows the rivalry. Everyone knows what that game signifies and what's going to be at stake there. Granted, you say the same for the SEC East, so it's, it's really... The, the, the point in all of this is I think that, I think that CBS picked a, a, a bad week for their doubleheader. Um, just because you could have had the opportunity to do... Could you imagine if they would have done their doubleheader on November 5th? You have Tennessee-Georgia during the day, LSU-Alabama at night. Like, dude, you kidding me? Anyways, let's go to the hotline, 706-0111. Jacob, what's up, buddy? How's it going, Matt? Doing well, sir. How are you? 
I'm doing well. I heard you talking about my favorite football coach of all time, and I had to call him. Lane Kiffin. Lane Kiffin? That's your favorite football coach of all time? Of of all time. I'm so sorry. I love it. I'm so sorry. Love, love everything he does. You know, and uh, I, you know, the, the background story of him with the Oakland Raiders. I feel like he got a bad shake over there. They have I mean, the does, doesn't everybody pick. get a bad shake in Oakland? Yeah, he, they had the number one pick. He told Al Davis, "Do not pick for Marcus Russell. This dude is going to be a bust. I want Calvin Johnson, Megatron. That's who we need to take with the number one pick. The rest is history." So. I don't give him blame for that. Hate that USC fired him on the tarmac. Love that he's doing well with Ole Miss. Hoping to see the Rebels roll on Saturday in Death Valley. And I think they will. I think it's the most balanced Kiffin offense I've seen in a long time. This guy just hates LSU. He's usually pass heavy. This guy just hates LSU. I dislike LSU. (laughs) Hate's a strong word. I dislike, but I love Lane Kiffin. What are, what are the running back stats on Ole Miss? They've been running over everybody this season. So the running back stats, you've got Quinshawn Judkins running for 720 yards at six yards a carry. Uh, you've got Zach Evans running at 605 yards at 6.1 yards per carry. And between those two guys, they have 17 touchdowns. Um, and combined, combined yards is what? If it was com- just one? Combined yards between those two is 1,300? Already, and we're how many games into the season? They they've played seven. That's pretty. That's and then outstanding. let's not forget that your quarterback has run for three hundred and seventy-one yards, and he's averaging seven yards a carry. True, true dual threat guy, Jackson Dart. Yeah, but he's not that. He's not that fast. I saw him take off last week, and he did not look fast. The, my my biggest my biggest gripe with Jackson Dart is his eleven touchdown six interception ratio. That, that's that's my, what I'm saying. It's the most balanced Kiffin offense. He's usually relied on the pass. Yep. Think about his USC West Coast offense, what he ran with Matt Corral. Yep, absolutely. This year, he's, he's really relying on the running backs. No, I, I agree with you 100%. I think LSU is going to have their hands full Saturday afternoon. Yeah, and then also, you know, Ole Miss hasn't been known for their defense. And outside of last, I was surprised they gave up that many points to Auburn last week. But their defense has been pretty pretty. Pretty stout so far. They've, they've, so, um, they've got a they've got a defensive end. They've got a defensive end. He's already at three and a half sacks on the year. That's pretty impressive. Three and a half sacks and on they, the year. And they lost. I mean, they lost their defensive coordinator. Who's the guy from Maryland? Old head coach from Maryland who came down there. Now he's at A and M defensive coordinator. Um, yeah, I, I'm drawing a blank too. It doesn't matter because he left. So. <laughs> And they're better, and they're better now. So, but to be fair, that the toughest team Ole Miss has played this year has been Kentucky. This will be their first real test. But uh, like you said, prime time matchup. If LSU were to win this game, being tied with Alabama, going into their rivalry game, it's the same thing for Ole Miss. If they win this game, they'll be undefeated, hosting Alabama at home. Yeah. So it's, it's big on them too. Yeah, no doubt. No doubt Shout about out it. To Shout out to Juice Kiffin, the dog, and uh, I'm rooting for the Rebels. Sorry. Oh, man. Anyways, appreciate you, Jacob. 
so yeah, you know, you, you look at Ole Miss's schedule the rest of the way. They're they're on the road the next two weeks. They're going to be at LSU. They're going to be at A and M. And then they get their bye before they play Alabama in Oxford. Think about that. They could play Bama in Oxford undefeated. That would be a show. I'm interested to see, you know, this Ole Miss team putting up 41 points a game, having a high-powered defense. What can they bring to the table in a primetime SEC matchup with LSU? It'll be fun, no question about it, Saturday at 2.30, pregames at 12.30, and you can hear it right here on the game. We'll take a timeout real quick. Well, actually, we'll go to the hotline. Halftime, what's up? Uh, I just want to say uh, I'm going to go ahead on a limb and predict in two years, I know it sounds crazy, to me in two years, LSU will win another national championship. I think Brian Kelly's the right guy. I think he's seen it when they beat when they beat Auburn. The way he was saying it's hard to win in the SEC. I think he has it. And I always say that if you give a coach like him or just a good coach, the same athletes that Saban has, they can be Saban. And I think he realized that he was with Notre Dame. He just needs to get the same athletes. So are you he's saying rebuilding year? That's just me. So are you saying two years from right now or two years from the end of this season? I say two years from right now. So 2024. Two years from right now. Yeah. Okay. I think they're going to be real good next year, I, I, but I really think the year after they're going to, that's going to be the least season. All right. That's, that's just my opinion. I, I don't opinion. I don't disagree. Not next year. I don't disagree. Okay. Appreciate right, the call, man. guys have a good one. The New Orleans Saints will be taking on the Arizona Cardinals Thursday night, and the game will help you get ready for the primetime matchup. Crunch time with me, guys, and Mesh will be broadcasting live from Twin Peaks on Johnston from 4 to 6. So come hang out with the fellas, enjoy ice-cold beverages and tasty burgers as the Saints take on the Cardinals. It's Twin Peaks. Eats, drinks, scenic views. Take a timeout and bring you audio from the Louisiana Raging Cajuns next here on The Game, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station. Tune in every weekday at 8.15 a.m. and 3.15 p.m. for the LSU Sports Update. Presented by Tibbs Trailers here on The Game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's Sports Station. Tip off the Pelican season with FanDuel, America's number one sportsbook. New customers can get up to $150 in free bets guaranteed when you place your first $5 bet. Just use promo code KLWB at sign up. Plus, all customers can get three months of NBA League Pass when they make a $5 bet on the NBA courtesy of FanDuel. Then you can watch all the action as you bet on everything from the money line to point spreads to totals. Best of all, you'll get your winnings paid instantly. Don't miss your chance to get $150 in free bets plus three months of NBA League Pass with promo code KLWB. Make every moment more with FanDuel, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. You must be 21 and older and present in Louisiana and permitted parishes only. For new customers, first online real money wager only, $10 first deposit required. Bonus issued is non-withdrawable free bets that expire in 14 days. For existing customers, $5 NBA wager required. Limit one pass per customer across both offers. Restrictions to apply. Void where prohibited. See full terms for both offers at sportsbook.fanduel.com. And if you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-877-770-STOP. 
NBA League Pass, local blackout restrictions apply. So, one thing that we got to get to. Let's talk about the Louisiana Rage and Cajuns men's basketball team. Preseason rankings and awards came out yesterday. And Bob Marlin's team has been picked to win the conference. They received 10 of the 14 first place votes, 190 votes total. And not to mention, Jordan Brown was picked to win preseason player. He was picked preseason player of the year. The expectations are high for a team, you know, regular season last year finished eighth out of 10. Yeah, they made a run in March and made it to the conference championship game. But they finished 8th out of 10. And now you've added even more talent with James Madison, Old Dominion, and Marshall. However, talent-wise, absolutely, Cajuns have the best team. Can it be put together is the question. Season gets underway here in a couple of weeks. Sunbelt Media Day for men's basketball is tomorrow. So we will bring you audio from Bob Marlin on Thursday's edition of Crunch Time. But while we're on the subject of Cajuns and audio, the Louisiana Ragin' Cajuns, Michael Desermo met with the media yesterday after their trip up to Huntington, West Virginia to play Marshall, getting back to 500, and here was his opening statement. I think we're making progress towards the team we want to be, but... You know, half at the halfway mark, certainly there's a lot of room for improvement. So that's what we're going to try to do um, this week. We're excited about being back home. Um, Arkansas State, you know, if you've been around Louisiana football for any amount of time, you know how big of a game that always is. Um, and, you know, and that's a football team that they're close right now. Um, you know, their record might not say it, but every game in the fourth quarter, they're either winning or they're, they're right on their heels. So um, it's a team that I know uh, – have a lot of respect for, always have, and I know they're going to come over here, uh, you know, and they're going to come over here and they're going to play the game the right way. So we'll have to be ready for that. Speaking of the trip to Marshall, Coach Dez talked about the debacle that it was trying to get home from Huntington, West Virginia. So we, we finished the game. Certainly it was late because of the lightning delay. And then uh, we get out of the locker room, we get to the to the plane, everything's good get on the plane uh and we're sitting there and then we're just sitting there you know i'm grading tape and i'm making notes and all this stuff and i start to realize like we've been here for quite a while an hour and a half maybe two hours um so an hour and a half and i'm like man what is going on here so they say there's fog in lafayette and they do maintenance on the runways in lafayette at night right now so their landing system is down for the i guess when you don't have a visual, it, it has, you know, whatever. So then they tried to figure out a flight plan to get us somewhere else, which thankfully they found Baton Rouge, not Houston. They had to figure out a flight plan to Baton Rouge, and then Troy had to get on the horn, figure out how to get buses over there, which we had two Hotard buses, and then campus was awesome. They had two guys that volunteered to come over there and come pick us up. So uh, I got back home at 6 a.m. Uh, on a Thursday morning. Uh, so, yeah, it was uh, – it was yeah, it was it was a challenge. It was a, made it better when you win though, I can tell you that. It's worse when you lose. So earlier in the press conference it was kind of mentioned 
uh, talking about it, Michael Desermo called it the second worst travel experience he'd had in a Cajuns uniform. Uh, the first one was when he was a player. They played at FAU in Boca Raton. And similar situation, you know, there, there was weather and they had to reroute the flight. They ended up flying to Houston, which was where he, he said, thank God it wasn't Houston. They had to fly to Houston and then ride the four hours back to Lafayette on a bus. He said that was the worst travel experience that he had ever had at the University of Louisiana. Uh, however, you know, going back to the game itself, this will be the last one we do before we take a timeout and bring in to the moon. Michael Desermo called the execution against Marshall the best he'd seen all season. Yeah, I mean, offensively, it was it was much better. Um, you know, as far as just operating within the offense and in the system, uh, you know, like I said, the identifications were really good up front. You know, we were really on the same page uh, 90% of the game. Uh, you know, quarterback and receiver were in sync a little bit. Uh, you know, receivers made plays that I felt like we had some opportunities in other games that, you know, kind of maybe came up short on some. And the quarterback made throws that – there were some games that we felt like, man, we left it out there a little bit. Uh, you know, defensively, at halftime, as well as we played, you know, uh, our defensive staff was a little frustrated because there were some automatics that we had in the game plan that we didn't get um, in certain looks. And so they, they were a little frustrated with it. Um, but our defense, I, I mean, I, I just – you know, one of the things on defense that you have to do is you have to play with unbelievable effort and intensity. And our defense does that. So even when it's not perfect, even when it's not great, um, you've always got a chance when you fly around and you, and you tackle the football the way that we do. And Looking at some things happening in the Acadiana area coming up over the next couple of days how about this saturday the tesh project is hosting the shake your trail feather paddle parade and party in the park on october 22nd a pair of live cage and bands will escort paddlers as they float from poche bridge to bro bridge from 10 to noon after the paddle parade there will be a free celebration at park to points in bro bridge from 11:30 to 2 with horace Trahan and the austin express there will also be kids activities food and drink a bird costume prize and a kayak raffle Come paddle or join the fun with the Tesh Project on October 22nd in Brobridge. And for more information, the website is teshproject.org. Take a time out. Brian LaLima of Sports Radio 790 in Houston joins us next for To the Moon right here on the game, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station. You're home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Fly me to the moon. That's driven. Minkes and Nash are ready to launch into all things Houston Astros. Here is To the Moon on Crunch Time with Miguez and Nash. Now that Brian Lalima has heard us act like idiots during the commercial break, what's up, bud? You know, I'm just really, really happy that you made it back from being in New Orleans covering the Saints and your office being in the, uh, they, what do they call that, dome down there these days, the Mercedes-Benz Superdome? It's the Caesar Superdome now, but yeah. That's that's right, the Caesars. Uh, yeah, you know, I'm just, I'm just happy you made it back. Really, I'm, I'm just, I'm pumped. You know, hey, had a, had a flat must, tire, must had a flat tire in the process, but we're good. Must be nice, dude. Must be nice. <laughs> not, not the flat tire, but you know, covering the Saints. 
I mean, it'd have been better had they won. But anyways, I digress. Um, so looking at Game Five of the ALDS between the Yankees and the Guardians, the Yankees currently lead five to one in the bottom of the seventh. Yeah. So barring, yeah, I, I don't, I don't understand why Terry Francona didn't start Shane Bieber. Well, I mean, I agree with you. I agree with you. Uh, Savali was definitely not the the answer for the Guardians. But, you know, now looking at it, probably going to play the Yankees tomorrow night. Do you like seeing that matchup over and over and over again? Yeah, I do. Um, You know, and also, by the way, in Game 5 that's going on right now, Aaron Hicks left the game after a collision in the outfield. He's going to have an MRI, so they might be without Aaron Hicks. Um, I like the matchup. You know, there's a, a, a rivalry that's been built between the Astros and the Yankees, obviously with all the theatrics from the Yankees fans when Altuve is, isn't even anywhere near New York. Yankee fans still can't keep his name out of their mouth. They always boo him. They always chant F Altuve regardless of the situation. Um, so, yeah, I love that matchup. Plus, their pitching rotation is all, it's all screwed up, meaning Nestor Cortez through today. He's not going to be available until later on in the series. Garrett Cole threw 110 pitches a day day or so ago. He's only going to be available for one game in the ALCS. So, yeah, I like the matchup. Now, the the short turnaround for more than likely the Yankees, I mean, they're playing game five right now. Game one of the ALCS is tomorrow, and they still have to travel down to Houston. Um, Do you think that short turnaround benefits the Astros? And if so, how much? Yeah, I do. Um, I think – you know, the Yankees, if they do hold on to this win, they're not even going to get a chance to celebrate, you know, winning the ALDS. They're going to literally have to go into the clubhouse, shower up, pack, head to the airport, and come straight down here. That's such a quick turnaround, and the Astros have been resting, and their pitching rotation is set up perfectly. Um, You've got guys like Jordan Alvarez, who was a little banged up coming into the series, and we saw what he did in in the ALDS. Yeah, the quick turnaround is definitely going to affect these guys. I mean, it's been a long 162-game season, plus five games in the ALDS for the Yankees, and then they have to hop on a flight and get into Houston. I mean, what time is it right now? So it's 5.41 as we do this interview. It's 6.41 in the Bronx right now. So let's say another hour, that's 7. They're not going to get in until, like, midnight here in Houston. they got to turn around and play at 6 o'clock tomorrow afternoon. So it's all benefiting the Astros regardless. Plus, they're going to be the Astros are at Minute Maid Park. They've got Justin Verlander. I mean, it's set up perfectly. You just talked about it. The, the Astros going with Justin Verlander tomorrow night in Game One. In your opinion, if it is the Yankees, who do they stick out there? I don't know. <laughs> I I have no idea to be honest with you. Luis Severino, maybe. Jamison Tyone. Oh yeah, there's another one. He's only thrown one inning. He's only thrown one inning so far, so that's probably who they're going to go with. They're going to have to go with him. They yeah. don't have anybody else. Could could we see a Garrett Cole versus Verlander matchup in the series at some point? Um, so let me let me think here. So you've got Verlander or Cole pitched when not yesterday, but day before, Correct. which was Sunday. So Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. So he'll be available Friday, which is an off day. No, I don't. I don't think so. I think you'll see Cole. Cole will throw. Uh, game game three, which is Saturday. And then, I mean, maybe game six or game seven. 
if it gets to that point, but I don't think it's going to get to that point. I, I don't. I don't think it will either. Um, you know, looking at some players that have really stepped up for the Astros during the postseason, it's obvious to to say it because he hit a home run in Game Three. But let's talk about Jeremy Pena. I mean, defensively at the plate. I mean, the kid has shined in the postseason. Yeah, the lights aren't aren't bright for aren't too bright for Jeremy Pena. Um, you know, the big question coming into the season for the Astros in general was. How are they going to replace Carlos Correa in the offseason or uh, in the uh, postseason? And so far, Jeremy Pena has risen up to that occasion. He's played the biggest. The biggest thing for me is the defense that he's played. Yes, the the hitting theatrics have been there. He's gotten on base to set the table for Jordan Bregman and Kyle Tucker. But the defense, he got a little shaky during part of the season with errors, um, specifically on throwing throwing errors, and we haven't seen that. So. You know, and when you get around him, I was there for game um, game number two on last Thursday, so I was down on the field for BP, and then I got to be in the clubhouse after the game. And he um, he's very businesslike. He's he's go with the flow. I mean, you it's it, it's it's like it's another just another game for him, and he's a rookie. So whatever he's got going on, as far as like a DNA built in him, we're seeing it, and we're probably going to see it time and time again as the playoffs go on. One guy that has kind of been a, you know, some people love his play so far, some people are, are just, you know, a, a little iffy, is Jose Altuve. Uh, what are what are your thoughts on Altuve thus far? Yeah, obviously Jose Altuve has struggled mightily at the plate. He's played extremely good defense. We saw two backhand plays up the middle, um, and he's been picked up by Yuli with, with nice scoops over there at first base. But – at the plate, he looked lost in the ALDS. I mean, absolutely, he was swinging at anything and everything. Like, he looked like he had no approach at the plate. But at the end of the day, like, I understand that it's in, in October and it's under the microscope because it is the playoffs. Slumps like that happen in a baseball season. And there's no better hitter to get out of it than Jose Altuve. Jose Altuve didn't start hot this season. And then he went on the IL and he came back and you saw what he did for the rest of the season. He had 300 this year a quiet 300, over 920 OPS. And, yeah, he hit a little bit of a slump in the ALDS. Uh, he took some live BP off Blake Taylor today. He took extra BP. I'm not concerned one bit. Um, like I said, if there's one guy that can figure it out, it's Jose Altuve. Shout out Ryan Lima here on To the Moon. Jordan Alvarez, I mean, the guy just does what he does. I mean, yeah. we, we've talked about it time and time again. He just shows up. Yeah, I'm I'm running out of adjectives to describe um, what Jordan continues to do. Um, you know, we saw him get intentionally walked at one point, and then Bregman came up with a big late RBI um, off of Munoz to to have an insurance run in Game Two. I mean, you know, the other night in that in that 18 inning game, there were some guys on the Astros like um, Altuve you know, Jordan, but even in the outset Jordan had, meaning those guys went hitless, but Jordan still was squaring up anything and everything. Right. So, uh, and then a, the most underrated part of his game is his defense. Everyone thought, oh, he's just a DH. He's just going to be a DH. Well, no, he's showing you that he's a little bit of above average outfielder. He's got a good arm. He's got an accurate arm. Um, his defense, meaning reading fly balls, is a little, isn't there just yet. He's a bigger dude. He doesn't, um, maybe he's not getting as good a reads as he will in the future. Um, and then one, another thing to, to note here, when I was in the clubhouse after that game, 
uh, game two win at Minute Maid Park, the thing that a lot of players like Kyle Tucker, Bregman, and Ryan Stanick, I talked to all three of those guys, and all three of them talked about Jordan's underrated speed. So, I mean, he's just, he, like I said, he, I, I'm running out of adjectives, man. It's crazy. Who the hell is Josh Fields, right? Yeah, exactly. What a trade, huh? We talked about it a couple of times on To the Moon. Thanks a lot, Dodgers. Great yeah. trade. We, we, we definitely appreciate that one. Um, yeah. Two other guys that have been solid, and I mean, no surprise, uh, Alex Bregman, and then, you know, every year in the postseason, we talk about this guy. How about the play of Yuli Gurriel? Yeah, uh, yeah. So, Bregman, you know, we we saw what Bregman went through this season, and we saw how he finished out the second half, and we've done a lot of different podcasts and interviews and stuff with, with Alex Bregman, and he always told us, I'm going to finish strong, I'm going to finish strong. And that's exactly what he did. And he's carried it into the postseason. And what we saw from him in the ALDS is, yeah, he, you know, if, if he's not going to get a hit, he's going to walk. He has one of the best eyes in Major League Baseball. He, led, he was like third, in, third overall in the AL this season with walks, with, with the third highest walk, walks um, through, through 162 games. So having him behind Jordan it makes it that much better for this lineup. And then what Yuli Gurriel is doing, I mean, it doesn't matter how poorly he hit at some points of the season. Yuli Gurriel gets into October besides the COVID season, and he just turns it on and he just goes back to being that professional hitter that we all know and, and have seen him succeed with. And he saw the ball, the baseball so well in the ALDS, and it was huge to see him get three hits one night, two hits another night, three hits another night. So it's just, I mean, it's just, it's, it's October and it's Yuli Gurriel. What else can you say? Who else has surprised you? Um, oh, man. I, I, it's, I, none of, no, one, no one has surprised me, but it's the thing that it, it baffles, not baffles me, it's just, it's like a wow. Like, this is how deep this Astros rotation and pitching staff is. You look at that 18 inning game, what Luis Garcia, what everybody did, but specifically Luis Garcia. He threw five innings knowing he couldn't give up a run, and he just goes out there and shoved. 97-98 on the black, dropping off the changeup, uh, or dropping off the curveballs, dropping off the changeup. And at the, end of the, at the end of that game, they still had Jose Urquidy to go through. He could have thrown six innings for you. And they saved Christian Javier to start game four if needed. I think that's the thing where you take a step back and you're like, wow, like this, this – pitching staff is that deep and that's without Phil Maton and out with veteran yep. Will Smith who didn't even make the roster for for the ALDS that's the craziest part to me absolutely lastly our poll question of the day since it turned a little chilly here in South Louisiana today give me your favorite flavor of icy oh man hold on what what was yours let's let's look let's let's figure that out first what was yours bubble gum okay what were the others? What, what uh, were the other options? Traditional Coke, cherry, blue raspberry. Man. I'm going to have to go with cherry. Yeah, cherry. Salad. I'm going to have to go with cherry. Those are, those are all solid. I like the bubble gum. The Coke brings me back. Classic Coca-Cola brings me back to uh, my Little League days. We always got ICs at Little League, um, you know, before Select Ball really took off when I was playing. 
But, man, how can you go? You can't go wrong with cherries. I don't no. know. That's that's just good stuff, man. Absolutely not. Brian Lalima of Apollo HOU and Sports Radio 790 joining us here for To the Moon. Brian, appreciate you each and every week, bud. Yeah, looking forward to it next week, guys. Thanks. Tune in next week for another edition of To the Moon here on Crunch Time with Miguez and Mesh. Let me tell you about my guys that suit up here in Lafayette, New Iberia, and Lake Charles. Fashion tuxedos, suits for all occasions, wedding party specials, and sportswear. Whether you're looking for Southern Marsh, Coastal Cotton, a new pair of Johnston and Murphy shoes, whatever, you just need a tie, whatever it is, Suit Up has it for you with professional service, measuring you every time you step foot in the door to make you feel like it's a perfect fit, make you feel important. And once again, three locations. In Lafayette, on Ambassador Caffrey, across from Chuck E. Cheese and Planet Fitness, New Iberia on Admiral Doyle, and now in Lake Charles, across from the Prion Lake Mall. And Suit Up reminds you to get dressed up for homecoming with Suit Up. And when you go, tell them that Miguez and Mesh sent you. We're back here on the game. Matt Miguez, James Mesh. Got about a minute left in today's show. Want to take this opportunity to thank our guest, Ross Jackson of the Locked On Saints podcast and Brian Lima of Apollo HOU. We'll be back tomorrow from 4 to 5.30 while we give way to the McNeese Coaches Show and eventually game one of the ALCS on the game tomorrow night. We'll also bring up the final results of today's poll question and talk about the best icy flavor of all time. And, of course, you know we're going to have a a top brand-new poll question for you tomorrow on social media. For James Mesh, I'm Matt Miguez, reminding you to be safe, be well, hug your mom and them, and we will talk to you once again tomorrow, same time, same station, bottom of the eighth, Yankees lead the Guardians 5-1. to This is the game, 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Talk to you tomorrow.